Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick joining you to talk about the defense this week and that game against the Colts. Obviously, a very disappointing outcome, but uh, here to talk about it with me. And a fine defensive effort, actually, is Melissa Kim of 105.7. And if you don't know by now, she hosts Game Day Flockdown, which is on Friday night, believe it or not, Game Day Flockdown. <laughs> <laughs> and the post-game show for, for the Ravens, also, uh, also on 105.7, correct? Yes, that is correct. Melissa, thanks for joining us tonight. Oh, my God. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I appreciate our conversations in camp. I know you're a big Jim Leonard fan going back. I know I am. Yeah. Jim Leonard was a defensive coordinator when I was covering the Wisconsin Badgers. I mean, I could not say enough wonderful things about this man, just as a coach, as a personality, just as a human being. Um, I don't know if anyone out there has seen the clip, but he, this man can still dunk a basketball against college guys. Hmm. So, um, yeah. And no, he's about 5'8", definitely- right? Yeah, I mean, he's not the tallest guy in the world, but he has a big personality to make up for. I can promise you that for sure. No, but when I was at Wisconsin, and obviously when he was here with the Ravens, too, obviously very well liked by players and coaches alike. Um, Just a wonderful, great guy. And now he's at Illinois. So, you know, coaching against the Badgers. So that that is an interesting situation. Coaching for Bielema there, obviously, you might be a little bit familiar with from Bielema's past um, at Wisconsin as well. I've kind of been around everywhere. So, yeah. So Jim Leonard uh, played at 588-188, played only one season in Baltimore, that 2008 season. But he's probably best known for in the playoff run, not only having a great playoffs personally because he was outstanding, but he also took the green dot from Ray Lewis for those three games. And a lot of Ravens fans don't know that, but a little little piece of Ravens lore there. He's really the only player to take it from him while he was on field between 1997 and 2012. So – that makes a lot of sense to me. Knowing him, that makes a lot of sense. And certainly had a great postseason, particularly that game at Tennessee. He was really one of the stars defensively there. Uh, but about this game. So the Ravens yes. coming off a 22-19 to loss to the Colts. Obviously a great defensive effort wasted in this one. Uh, they held mm. the Colts to 3.9 yards per play. Uh, you, you were there, obviously. What about the energy from the crowd in this one in particular? I thought it was very loud. It was. It was certainly very, very loud, especially when the Ravens were on defense. So the fact that those communication things that they've been working on, I think are so important. I've talked to a lot of guys about that, uh, you know, coming into this season during the offseason and preseason. And in particular, I remember talking to Patrick Queen at the stadium practice in a one on one. And he had told me that this is the best community that this team has communicated since he's been here. So since 2020, so that to me signaled like, Oh, like this is something might be different this year. And then after that and talking to Marcus Williams and talking to Kyle Hamilton, they, I'd asked them specifically about the communication after hearing that. And they're like, Oh, it's definitely on point. You know, Kyle obviously coming off his rookie year has a little bit of a, you know, might not know, have a better understanding of that, but Marcus for sure, a veteran guy, he was like, no, the communication is excellent this year. And I think we saw that, especially for me, I saw that in the first game, 
um, right away against the Texans when you noticed, you know, when they were lining up that they were running back and forth and pointing to each other and, you know, yelling things to each other. That was something that you saw last year a little bit, but it was like right before the other team would snap the ball. So you knew that they were trying to make adjustments and it was a little too, they were a couple like milliseconds behind. Right. But then this year you're really seeing that happen ahead of the snap. So I think that that has made such a significant difference for this defense. They have guys that are talking a lot more, obviously Roquan Smith, a big part of that, but you're seeing that trickle down effect, I think in that defense as well, because you're seeing Patrick Queen emerge a lot more yep. and you're seeing, you know, other guys as well. Yeah. I saw Patrick Queen in the first game at home. He readjusted, padded some fannies to move linemen pre-snap once and he repositioned a cornerback, which is, that's really something when, when you see that kind of thing from an inside linebacker. So that's an, that's an all around look for the effort. People don't realize, and you're, you're, you're making it good to highlight this is that people don't realize how important it is and how difficult it is to communicate on defense at home because home crowds are taught to be loudest and louder than loudest at when the, when the opposing team has the ball at key moments in the game. Try and disrupt the huddle to the degree you can. That's very important. Brian Billick was big on that. Cheer while they're in the huddle. When, by the time they're at the line of scrimmage, you've lost a lot of your, your, your ability to do it. But they still check at the line of scrimmage. And what, what we saw in this game was three separate false starts by the uh, offensive line. And each of those stalled a drive Technically, one of them was a one-yard penalty near the goal line that ended up on that safety, but the other one was, uh, you know, the other two both stalled drives as well, and uh, and that was just a big part of the defensive effort in this game. Yeah, I think so too. And it, those kinds of things, you don't really think about that. I think when you're watching the game as a fan, how much that plays into effect crowd noise because I'm not sure it really comes through on TV for people mm -hmm. watching, but that really is such an important part of the game and. That is why, again, that fans matter. You know, those kind of, like every little aspect matters. That's why I love football so much because every little minute detail, it's so meticulous that it matters um, in obviously the outcome of a game sometimes. Yeah, the Ravens had good new um, promos or I, I don't know, whatever you call them, but videos on the board showing a flock of Ravens tearing up a Colts flag during the game <laughs> that I thought was, it was kind of interesting. But I think that's the first they've done to try and increase the noise level of the stadium. It was a rainy day that not every seat was filled in this game. And it definitely was a case where I thought we got some additional reverb off of the seats, which probably transmit noise or reflect noise a little better than, than people. Yeah. And you know, they have like the decibel thing. I think they use sometimes mm -hmm. to kind of get the crowd involved. Um, the video team, I think always does just a great job of these like hype videos, like with the music and all the graphics and stuff like that. So yeah, I think that's, that stuff was pretty cool actually. All right, so let's move on and talk a little bit about the one big mistake everybody's talking about. And we're going to be fairly brief with this just because yeah. it's, it is what it is. I think it's been discussed, but I know you were, you have uh, you know, participated in the interviews today and you understand what, what's gone at the castle and some of the, some of the finger pointing has, has apparently stopped. But uh, the, their fair catch mistake, uh, 203, they ruled the step out of the end zone occurred instead of two minutes when it appeared the sacker didn't seem significant at the time. It actually ended up being enormously significant. Um, the Ravens lined up in a, in a very clever formation because it's not something you do very often is defend mm -hmm. a free kick on a safety where you can't kick it off a tee. And they had this 7-2-1-1 formation to try and, try and uh, uh, basically defend it. I've got some detail on that in my article if you want to take a look at it, folks. But, uh, but I, I thought very well designed. But they apparently spent a lot of time on design on how to defend the, the, the potential for an onside punt effectively without really talking about the possibility of, of, of additional time being put on the clock. 
Yeah, there's a lot of confusion, I think, overall for everyone involved in this situation. And, you know, Coach Harbaugh, he did take some response. He did take responsibility for that because, you know, at the time, you know, when Gardner Minshew stepped out of the end zone, so they ruled it at 158. And then that obviously changes everything literally between 203 and 158, mm-hmm. obviously, after the two minute warning. And so, yeah, I think that they thought that it was possibly going to be before that was always going to be an onside kick, probably pick something like that, any kind of thing. So, um, you know, I think communication ended up being, as we were talking about with the defense, you know, communication in this situation was obviously really important. But, um, yeah, they said that they couldn't get the word out to Zay Flowers um, before they wanted to. So, yeah. You could see Harbaugh on the sideline in a high-angle shot, and he's very identifiable because he's got that light gray mm-hmm. shirt on. And maybe they, maybe these even want, they want it that way to, so people can see him. And he's pointing back in what looks like Flowers' direction. He puts up two fingers as he's pointing. I don't know whether they met two minutes or go to number two, which means you're returning this kick or whatever it might have been. And then he and then he seemed to get some kind of response from him because he thumbs up to him back. So I don't know. He might have been Hamilton because he's also kind of on that same vector from where Harbaugh was. But it, it, uh, it really looked as if Harbaugh had the answer that he thought he was supposed to get from Flowers on that play. I'm big at looking at the emotions that are occurring on the sideline. He's obviously oh, yeah. very, very pissed off after the play. Yes. And let me give one other thing is that Phillips came back. He seemed to understand what was going on. He was one of the front seven. He walked back to have a teaching or accountability moment with Flowers after the play. There's no reason for him to talk to him on that play other than to say yeah. you weren't supposed to fair catch that ball. Yeah. Yeah. I think everyone's kind of just looking at it now that, it happened, made a mistake, learning from it, moving on. Because in that situation, I hate, you know, I hate when those, it's like one of those things that it's out of your control at that point. You know what I mean? And in this sense, you could only control what you could in this game, which is what, uh, I guess what the uh, moral of this game was, control what you can control, which, <laughs> some of which they did, yeah. That's, that's good with the officiating problems too. That's certainly true. Yeah, yeah. All right. Historic game from Kyle Hamilton, three sacks in the first half. The three sacks is the NFL record for a defensive back. He's the 11th player ever to do it. The second Raven, Benny Thompson, did it in 1996. Um, Some detail on that, again, in my article, uh, only 22 snaps for Benny Thompson in that game against the Jacksonville Jaguars. It was at at Jacks in in, uh, 96. But he was inserted as a quarterback, not a quarterback, a quarter space back, uh, where he is the seventh defensive back in in quarter packages. He actually replaced Ray Lewis that year for that role in particular. He was in there. He, he was sent to spy Brunel on those plays. He did it three times and actually took him down once. We we kind of forget that Brunel actually had was known for mobility at one time. Towards the later part of his career at Washington and whatnot, he, he didn't have that anymore. Yeah, I mean, listen, for Kyle Hamilton – I think this, it was such a, it's unfortunate that they lost the game because I think that they could have celebrated this a little bit more, a little bit of a damper on the day. Obviously I think he would have been maybe a little bit more excited about it after the game too. Um, But in terms of what makes him so great, I mean, you look at last season, right? When he first came to the Ravens, obviously you're looking at his size. I mean, he's like like a six, four safety. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. literally unheard of super tall, super long. You know, I think one of the coaches in the beginning said that he had like go-go gadget arms or something like that, but also very quick. You see the difference, I think, in terms of year one and year two. And I think like the trajectory is so, so steep in that sense, because you see the things that he, his mistakes that he made at the beginning of the season. And then he 
what I love about him is he was so mature and he came here when he was 20 years old and he owned up to those mistakes up front in front of the camera in front of the media. And then he progressively learned from, it. I think you saw that progression, obviously, um, you know, towards the end of last year and then talking to him during training camp a bunch and, you know, during the preseason um, games, he said that, yeah, he feels a lot more comfortable in year two. And I think we're seeing the results of that right away. And I like that he's so versatile too. You know what I mean? Like they're obviously, obviously as we saw against the Colts, moving him around, you know, traditionally in, you know, some safety, some slots, some, you know, he's just moving around quite a bit. And I think that his speed obviously has a lot to do with that. Um, and I think yesterday as well, the personnel situation, obviously that they were thrown into yeah. injury wise, that has obviously, um, you know, made a difference in what they've been able to do with him as well. So maybe a little bit of a good thing. I, I think it's, I think it's actually very much of a good thing. I've been a big proponent this off season that, they they did have to make a decision about Hamilton to play him at slot or strong safety. And they, the decision, the defense should be built around wherever Hamilton is going to play. Meaning, meaning if, if he's the right guy for slot corner, meaning he's, he's, that's where he's going to be the greatest player that he can be. Then you put him there. If he's going to be the right guy for strong safety, again, meaning that's where he can become a superstar. Then you do there. We've seen the first three weeks of the season. Now the Ravens have played a lot of cover two. Now what yeah. that means is, two safeties back, and that kind of forces a lot of the passing game underneath, which actually removes Hamilton from a lot of the play. And we saw that particularly against the Bengals. He did have a big tackle to on third down to stop oh, somebody yeah. short of the sticks. Yep, because when, yeah. when everyone else was blitzing. Yeah, I remember that one, yeah, yeah specifically. Yep, exactly. It was on third and 11. It was a six-yard play when it was a big, big play in the game. Mm -hmm. But then most of the rest of the game, he was kind of out of sight, out of mind, which was good because all the passes were going short and the Bengals weren't doing very much on those. But uh, you, you see just how much impact he could just take over a game defensively when he's up close to the line of scrimmage. And he, does he have the perfect set of traits for nickel? Not really, but but he's he's outstanding. Oh, yeah, I, definitely. And what I think, too, is that he talked about after the game on, uh, God, yesterday, Sunday, seems like a long time ago now, um, he was saying that he had, you know, Jay Davian Clowney, um, you know, really kind of coaching him through a lot of this stuff, which is kind of on the past, which is kind of like neat to see that you're seeing kind of the integration of all those positions on the defense communicating with each other. I think Clowney spoke about him after the game too, calling him like, he calls him like the avatar or something mm -hmm. like that. You know, he's a six four safety. He can run, he can hit. Long and arms probably, right? That's yeah, what he's referring yeah, to. The go -go, yeah, the go-go gadget arms, the long, the very long arms. I think it has to do also because his dad was a basketball player, as we all know, professional basketball player in, uh, in Europe growing up. So he definitely has the genetics working for him there. But um, yeah, I think that he's, they've been talking, they've been coaching him up a little bit to do some different things. And I thought that like, it was, it's kind of neat to see all that, like those relationships develop when you see these veteran guys like today being clowny, um, you know, talking up Kyle Hamilton and trying to improve his skill set. It was pretty neat. Obviously, it's it's best when Kyle Hamilton can get free a free run at the quarterback as he did three times in this game with 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 no obstruction. But there are other times when he actually has to use his hand to get to the quarterback hands to get to the quarterback. And he's shown some wonderful moves last year in particularly doing that. And I would think if he's open to it, Clowney be a great guy to teach him some good hand play uh, there and get violent. Uh, really been been excited by the way about Clowney's play early this year. Yeah, no, same. I think that he kind of quietly came in and you know I mean not quietly but you know I mean he's quietly kind of like slowly made his impact here obviously with the injury situations with both Odafe Owe and now David Ojabo as well um, I think that his veteran presence and his experience is obviously going to be highly utilized and I think we're seeing there's so many intangibles right with this team that I like really love to see in terms of veteran guys that are really making an impact on these younger guys um, on the other side of the ball, um, specifically with Zay Flowers, I know OBJ and Nelson Aguilar in particular 
have been really, you know, mentoring him. Like I see Nelson and Zay out to dinner all the time and, you know, obviously bonding and talking and OBJ and um, Zay Flowers of Lockhart are next to each other too. So I really do love that about this team, all the relationships that are built in terms of the older guys and the veteran guys sharing their knowledge and experience with the younger guys. That is, that is really always good to see. Whenever I saw Pernell McPhee try to teach younger players or last year it was, it was Houston, Justin Houston. Teaching yeah, Justin Houston, yeah. 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 All right. So outstanding day for Hamilton and, and uh, we'll probably talk about him some more and we're going to get individual players in part two of this, but uh, you know, some interesting things happening on defense, Rocky Sin and Darby are still splitting time at left corner and Brandon Stevens, the child, nobody wanted first. He gets kicked <laughs> out of the safety room because they needed him in the slot corner. And then they needed him more at outside corner. And frankly, I, I thought that's where he sort of started from the beginning, but he's, but he's back there now. And he's, and he's the team's number one cornerback right now. Yeah, I've, one thing that I love about him is he's kind of like the Patrick McCary of the secondary, right? He can play like all five positions in the secondary. And um, I remember talking to him before. I like literally, talk, I think like I talked to much. <laughs> I talked to everybody, like, you know, generally in the preseason and offseason quite a bit um, in the locker room. And, you know, one of the things he said was that he does feel a little bit more comfortable at safety, but, you know, in terms of outside corner, he's been progressing every day this is during camp obviously um but um you know but he did say that he's obviously open being versatile and he actually played running back in college too so he said because of that that's why he has so much knowledge of learning concepts of run schemes and pass concepts and literally everything that he's now able to do uh in the secondary so shout out to his college coach and high school coach for making him the way that he is but um you know the one thing that i thought was interesting that he told me um in terms of the motto of the defense at that point was that he says that they all work on a string. That's their motto. Everybody operates on a string. So that means the more that you can do, the more valuable that you are to a team. So he tries to just study everything in that sense. Oh, that's good. Now, I, I, I like hearing that. I've never heard that before, too. That's 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 very good. Um, I, what he's done this year is is really impressive. He's been uh, you know, much better than the Ravens could have hoped for. And frankly, the cornerback the position, which came into the season, is by far the weakest, has been not at all that on the defense. They've been quite solid in terms of the three guys they've had there at outside corner. And now I thought Ardarius Washington played well while he was at slot. And now Hamilton is there. Corner ain't the problem right now. Yeah, that was honestly when I was coming into the season, everyone was like, what's your like with you? If there's one position that you're worried about, and I said outside corner, but obviously Brandon Stevens is handling it. And also with like, you know, Rapusine and Ronald Darby, obviously they're both a little bit newer to the team. Darby obviously has, is, you know, they both have veteran experience, but um, Brock also injured for a little bit of time as well during preseason. So he didn't really get those reps in, but um, that would be like my guess as to why they're splitting time in those two positions, right? Uh, at left corner right now, because um, just because of the, reps that they haven't been able to get with the team so yeah it, it, i mean it, I, i'm i'm perfectly okay with that and it's it's been good generally speaking when the ravens have rotated corners because you'll find yourself needing to go down to two at some point just due to injury purposes what's been remarkable to me is that stevens has been a lock a, an every down player the whole season while these guys are splitting time but it's a good it's a very good 2024 move because they're going to need stevens will be here next year and those two guys probably won't be uh, and is Yassin signed for two years? I actually uh, don't know if he's signed for one or two. I'll look I it up while we're, say, while we're yeah. going through the next segment. Uh, well, we had some more bad IR news today. Uh, yes. Not IR news. I'm sorry. We did have bad IR news because Wallace got moved to IR. But we had some other bad injury news in terms of – why don't I let you talk about it because I know you're closer to this than me. 
Oh, no, I mean, yeah, I mean, Tylen Wallace on IR now with a hamstring injury. I mean, we saw David Ojabo come out of the game with mm-hmm. an ankle injury again um, against the Colts. Gino Stone, too, going down with a rib injury, and those um, those injuries are TBD. Monday is usually kind of their evaluation day where they evaluate guys in terms of how serious their injuries are. Gus Edwards, I we had heard yesterday that he was being evaluated for a concussion, but today um, Coach Harbaugh did not specify on that concussion Oof. specifically but just that he was being evaluated so you hope that that means and like coach lingo that it is not a concussion that he's doing a little bit better than that um but in terms of you know injury moves marlon humphrey was not placed on ir at the beginning of the season so you're hoping that he'll be back at practice at some point this week hopefully on wednesday we'll see about that and uh, marcus williams actually posted on instagram uh on his instagram story today a picture of himself and says take a deep breath your time is coming so read into that how you will with you know how guys are using social media these days be a little bit cryptic sometimes throw out some little hints um and he was also coach Harbaugh also asked about Tyus Bowser and Keaton Mitchell today and he said that um they kind of know where they are right now but uh he'll share more about them next week so you got to feel good about that because Tyus Bowser you've seen him still regardless of being injured or not, he's still out doing his pregame routine with fans and throwing the ball to fans in the stands. So, you know, if he can do that, you're hoping that he can uh, do quite a few other things too. But I mean, yeah, you look at the injuries on this team this season and I have like, you know, some 2021 vibes about it, which hopefully are not right. the case at all. But I mean, um, we're still waiting to hear a definitive thing about our Darius Washington and his chest injury. But the fact that Coach Harbaugh even alluded to the fact that it could be season ending makes me not feel good about that. Um, did, you know, did, Odom- do you get the sense that that might be a pec injury? If it's a chest injury, I, I mean, I don't know what else it can be. Yeah, chest muscle, he said. So I was kind of, I'm not really specifically pec. sure what that is, but yeah, pec. So yeah. Um, and then you're looking at some other guys that have been out for a little bit, you know, um, Pepe Williams, Odafe Owe, who I saw all last week in a walking boot in the locker room. So, um, you know, ankle injury there. Um, and, and then the O-line, you know, Tyler Linderbaum, Ronnie Stanley, the ankle injuries. And um, Rashad Bateman said yesterday after the game, actually, he came up for a little bit. He said his hamstring just tightened up a little bit, so he should be okay is what I'm guessing. Um, And then the running back room, the poor, poor, cursed running back room. I mean, (laughs) obviously, J.K. Dobbins not coming back at all. Um, Justice Hill, turf toe is like one of those things that I've seen guys have. And some of them, it lasts like two weeks and they're good. But some of them, it lingers for a while for like months. So you just never know, I feel like, with that. We've been through a long turf toe times with Jonathan Ogden here in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. It's probably the most famous case of turf toe. And th- that really sucked. Is all I can yeah. say. That, it was awful. Yeah. Uh, so lo- lots of lots of moves to be made probably this week. They didn't even wait with Wallace. The other ones, I guess they're looking at, but they're going to have to be some moves made because every single inactive spot is a walking wounded. And they had to actually um, release Johnson to make room for right. Gordon as a, as a, uh, actually as a, to make the both, I think the running backs were both practice squad elevations and it was actually yeah. moon who was elevated the rock to 53, right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because yeah, both Kenyon, uh, Drake and Melvin Gordon were practice squad originally. So, um, so yeah, I mean, you just want everyone to, you know, every week you just want everyone to stay healthy, obviously, but I mean, coach Harbaugh asked today also about, um, does this worry you? I mean, why are these injuries happening? And, you know, part of it, he said, it's just football. And the thing is that the Ravens are not the anomaly to this situation. You look around the league right now, there have been so many season ending injuries this year, obviously Aaron Rodgers, um, Nick Chubb, those are the big ones that come to mind for me. But um, yeah, in terms of this team's situation, Patrick Queen actually said this after the game yesterday, 
Um, and he said, you know what, like in terms of depth on this team, we're all practicing, we're all taking reps. So like there really is no excuse for the next man up mentality if you can't perform, you know what I mean, when it comes to game time. So that's how they're looking at it, I think, um, in terms of the injury situation right now. But I think, yeah, there will be some moves made before Sunday's game in Cleveland. Right. I would agree on that. Uh, let's actually get to talk about the defense a little bit on this. The, Ra- the Ravens did, I thought, a pretty good job stopping the run in this one. It wasn't a perfect thing. They allowed almost 4.0 yards per carry, and they allowed that left edge to crumble a couple of times, which led to two long runs. The rest of the game, they honestly, was very minimal in terms of run impact. Yeah, and I think that um, you know that was something that was to be expected. That that was that was a battle that I was looking at actually coming to this game, like the Ravens' offensive line versus the uh, Colts' defensive line, and the uh, and vice versa, right? Because you look at the number of injuries that they had on the Colts' offensive line as well. Obviously, Ryan Kelly being the big one, the veteran center, they're out with a concussion, and I thought that you know uh, Justin Madubike, Michael Pierce, those guys up front in the center, I thought that they handled it pretty well and like you know obviously we saw the results of some of that on those Kyle Hamilton sacks but um but yeah and in terms of there weren't I don't think a ton of you know long pass plays obviously the the touchdown comes into mind the Zach Moss touchdown where Patrick Mm -hmm. was covering him and there was literally nothing that he could have done differently I think in that situation he had mentioned after the game that he that might have turned his head a little bit too soon um, but I mean, you did see a little push to yep. Zach Moss off of it as well. Um, so I think that, you know, certain things, there's nothing you can do with the situations. It's just a really good play, a really good throw, you know? So outside of that, I think, I, I think so too. It, it was a good throw. I, I will say queen towers over him. So finding the football in the air is important for the contested mm-hmm. catch. And that's one I'm going to put some, some blame on Patrick queen. It just is, it's, it's the oh, way I no. am I get <laughs> pushed off like that. Uh, the Ravens got out snapped 84 to 72 in this game. It was a variety of problems, but two, two things primarily and both offensive, they turned the ball over obviously way too much, but also they didn't have the kind of serious success rate that they'd had the first two weeks of the season. So serious success rate is percentage of times that you get a first down or touchdown over percentage of first downs that you have. And it was 79% for the first two weeks. It was only 67% in the third week. So down substantially. It doesn't seem like that would be the difference, but that's that's the difference between the best team in the league at seventy nine percent and a probably somebody's in ranked in the twenties, um, you know, in the league in in this week. And they did not, uh, you know, they, they obviously did not move the ball efficiently. It was a it was a herky jerky offense, and there were a lot of ill timed incomplete passes um, during this one. Uh, the defense having to play eighty four snaps, you know, this is a, a general fear of the Monk and offense is that there may be more ups and downs than they're worth Roman where Roman knew how to game, get a game over quickly. And frankly, the, the Ravens had much better series success rate with him. Yeah. And that's the thing to the, the snap count, right? Did you hear, did you hear about this afterwards? Um, someone had asked today that uh, uh, Daryl Worley played, a, played 102 snaps because he played special teams and defense. Is that oh, really? Huh? Yeah. So uh, yeah. So he was asked about that. Uh, Coach, I was actually asked about that because I hadn't seen the snap count yet before today, but 102, which obviously uh, is like a lot. And, you know, uh, Coach Harbaugh said that that's never, <laughs> that's never what you want quite literally. Um, but, uh, you know, he said that you don't really plan on playing like 88 snaps on defense. That's a challenge. He said it's a challenge of where they're at right now, obviously, but um, they just kind of had to deal with the personnel issues that they did have. But, Daryl Worley deserves like 24 hours of an ice bath after that. That sounds intense. <laughs> hey, he did a wonderful job playing the back he end did. because somebody had yeah. to play for him. 
This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Back there at strong yeah. safety and keep the ball funneled toward the front. And Worley, by being basically invisible, making all the tackles he needed to do, not having a bad day in coverage at all, uh, was actually, I thought, had a really terrific game. And I, I'm looking at the 76 and 26 in terms of staffs offensively and defensively. Yeah. Uh, sorry, defense and special teams. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, credit to him because, like you said, basically remained invisible. That's, not here. That's how you know he was doing his job well. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, props to him on that. Yeah. Uh, do you have any other individual points on the game or maybe scheme points? Because this is where you usually talk about it. I just want to give you a chance before we move on and talk a little bit about packages. Uh, no, I mean, I thought in terms of, honestly, that I thought that everything they did was pretty, pretty legit, pretty, did pretty well in defense. That's honestly, that's kind of why I like doing defense more because I'm just on, especially with this team, because you're like, okay, Usually you'll know you know what to expect, I think. Um, but one thing too that uh, that a couple of the guys have talked to me about is that uh, that in terms of Mike McDonald's defense, I think Kyle Hamilton mentioned this to me last week. He said it's like complicated, but it's not. But like once you know what you're doing, it's really easy. The disguising, right? Because that's like what I think mm-hmm. Mike McDonald did pretty well in terms of calling this game is disguising of the defenses, which is obviously how we saw the results of a lot of what we saw. But um, but yeah. Yeah, t- tremendous pass rush game, and that definitely yeah. has a lot of deception to it. I want to get into that in some detail in just about five yeah. minutes here, maybe ten. But the but the packages I want to talk a little bit about first, and uh, you know, an interesting set because they did a they did a couple things that were unusual from a package standpoint, and one of them was that they turned to a package with only one outside linebacker for seven plays. And so I call it uncovered nickel because they, they use three down linemen and they're effectively using either Brent Washington, uh, Brent Urban, sorry, or, or Braddock Washington as a five tech uh, uh, to play on the outside of the formation. And unfortunately, one of the plays, Braddock Washington lost the edge on, on one of the runs. It was either the 26 or the 24. I think it was later in the game. So it was a 26. The first run, the 24 yard loss was a Jabo losing it. So it's not like an outside linebacker can't lose it too. Um, but they were so short on outside linebackers in this game. They had, uh, you know, only three guys by the end of the game, you know, playing 84 snaps. That's a lot more snaps than outside linebackers and defensive linemen typically play. Now corners, they play every snap anyway. Inside linebackers play every snap, although they get tired too, but defensive linemen, outside linebacker, because pass rushing is just so tiring, you really need to rotate them. It's always been the Ravens' philosophy, and this game they just really overworked those guys. Yeah, and I think that's kind of why. I mean, they they almost didn't have a choice. You know what I mean? And like just using those packages that just have one outside linebacker because 
again, of the personal situation, which I think dictated a lot of what they were forced to do in this game across the board because of all the injuries, because of the, I don't want to say depth issues, but yeah, just because of all depth the injuries. They had to, <laughs> they, I mean, yeah, I mean, they kind of had to just make do with the, make the best of what they had, you know, they make do with what they had. So I think that that, given the situation that they were put into, I think that, you know, everything generally worked. I mean, you ha- you can't be unhappy, I think, with how the defense played, given the situation that they were put no. in. No, I mean, the def- nothing is on the defense about losing this football game. They, they played great, honestly. And the base nickel, and this is, you rarely see results this good, but this is 54 of the team's 84 snaps. And they only gave up, well, that's, yeah, 54 of 84. They gave up 186 yards, 3.4 yards per play in that in that nickel defense. And that's with Hamilton up front. That's a very v- versatile defense right now. And why is that? Because Hamilton is really a player who, who is equivalently good at being a big nickel as he is at being a coverage guy and a, and a normal nickel in what you expect him. Now they have attempt occasionally attempted to sub out for him, not in this game, but, but in last year towards the end, move him to strong safety or, or just allow somebody else to come in like Pepe to play slot corner on certain um, third and long type situations. They didn't, they didn't do that any yesterday. Hamilton's obviously the best player on the field for the Ravens, but uh, he uh, uh, was in there for every play. And I think it gives them a a, a wonderful defense they can play against either 11 or 12 personnel. So if you decide to go a little uh, heavier with a tight end, well, no problem. It's a nickel, but he's, he's an extra big body in there and can, can handle the the toughness and, and match up well against a tight end in the slot. And he, and he does just fine against receivers there too. Yeah, what I was so impressed with him is just how, you know, I I like did watch a little. I just the only film that I got to watch so far to, uh, this week was literally those three sacks, right? Mm-hmm. And how he just went through untouched, you know what I mean? Because of how I think on like the first sack and the third sack, it was uh, Michael Pierce and Justin Madubike that kind of like dropped back, and then like on one of them, they pack a queen coming out from the from the left side, from uh yeah from the left side, and I mean that's how you know they were thinking about patrick covering patrick queen or where to put patrick queen and then um and then uh kyle just kind of like went through unscathed you know what i mean he literally went through untouched on those first on the first uh first sack and like the third one i believe as well the one where he forced the fumble so i mean obviously as you said best player on the field in that sense for sure um he like this the combination of him right the speed the height the vision yeah, everything. He gives you instincts. I mean, he gives you a lot of value there. And the height is is underrated. With those arm arm legs, he's a looming presence to get the ball past if you're a quarterback. And we saw that in play with the pass defense. That was a remarkable play, you know, diving in basically. He was he was rushing the quarterback and he had to redirect himself, reach way out wide and 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 knock that ball down. But I want to get back to your point about the pass about the three sacks on on, on each of those plays. The Ravens had simulated pressure. So in the first one, they dropped Pearson Matabike from the line, mm-hmm. and he rushed off the edge. The tackle on that side was still engaged, I believe, by Clowney on that play, which meant there was no one to take care of uh, of Hamilton, and he got he got through cleanly. The second one, uh, Clowney and Ajabo both dropped. That was Ajabo's last snap, in fact, in the game was on that on the second sack. And he blitzed in. And they also had a blitz from Queen, uh, which helped pick up traffic in the middle that I like. And a stunt also in that. You rarely see that, by the way. Yeah. Three elements of deception all in the same play. And then I'll get the last one here. The sack minus 16, where he had the forced fumble. 
uh, was a 4-3 pass rush. We need three guys dropped off the line of scrimmage. And it was both, again, Pearson Matabike, as you said, so first and third sack, and also Patrick Queen dropped from the line of scrimmage. So, so I think that gave the, the um, Colts fits in this game was them trying to figure out uh, the assignments for blocking when they sh- when the Ravens were showing people at the line of scrimmage and dropping them. And it kind of reminds me of the, the game the Ravens played at Miami a couple of years ago when they when they got beat very badly with a lot of cover zero looks. Yeah, that's kind of when I think we saw <laughs> that was like the year of the cover zero, right? Like everyone was talking about cover zero. Mm-hmm. But yeah, what you were mentioning too, like the deception that's involved with this defense, I think is so good. I mean, that's one thing that they've done like pretty well, I think under Mike McDonald and obviously thriving on that um, because you saw kind of Gardner Minshew too trying to figure out what was happening as it was happening. That's what you don't want, obviously, if you're Gardner mm-hmm. Minshew. And by the time he realized, like, oh, the guy, like, I think it was, like, behind, on um, the third tech was, like, behind Queen and Brandon Stevens, like, before, like, before that guy could even get open, I can't remember who the receiver was, you know, Kyle Hamilton was already there right in front of Gardner Minshew's face. So that, the, the confusion, the deception thing of dropping those guys back, especially, like you said, like we were talking about with Justin Madabee and Michael Pierce, I thought that that was, like, on point. All right, outstanding. So uh, package-wise, the Ravens didn't go to their base defense much, just eight plays in this game. And and when that happened, uh, Kyle dropped back to play strong safety and Worley was out. But otherwise, they um, uh, they were in just these very normal packages. They won packet, one, one rush nickel. We don't need to talk about that. It was only one play. One dime at the end of the regulation on that one play where Minshew grounded the ball where the screen didn't show up. By the way, what the hell are they trying to do there? <laughs> Listen, desperation measure, I think. But um, so I feel like we obviously like cover two, if I can ask a question that too, if like cover two is kind of, you know, the staple of a lot of what we've been seeing. Um, I was watching the Monday Night Football game a little bit tonight to the um, the Bengals uh, Chargers one, and they were talking about, and we were noticing a little bit too, you know, they're playing a little bit more like cover four, a little bit, you know what I mean? That people are kind of straying away from that. Many teams are straying away from that a little bit. And a lot of people, a lot of people obviously, the blitz has become such a staple now as well. I mean, it, are we just kind of in a mission? Are we in an evolution time right now? Defenses in terms of coverage? I, I've kind of got my theories about this. The Ravens have played three guys right now, so quarterbacks who aren't very impressive. So Stroud in his very first game and didn't know real to what to expect. He hasn't been terrible by any yeah. stretch. He didn't turn the ball over against the Ravens uh, by interception, but then they played the injured Joe Burrow. And that presents a great opportunity for cover two because uh, and Stone's interception actually fell right in this category. Burrow does not have elite arm strength to start with. And now he has this calf injury where he can't really step through his throws. At least that's my theory going into this. You throw with your legs a lot. There's a lot of energy that comes from your legs when you throw. And so, you know, he lofted up basically was an artillery shell in the middle of the field, which was probably well enough placed where it would dart to hit Higgins. But there was way too much time for Stone to close the window from the front side of that play. And that's the kind of, that's the way you get yourself in trouble. And Burrow knows his own limitations. And that's why these last four games now against the Ravens, they've been a lot of underneath throws as the Ravens say, look, we dare you to try a beat us deep. We're going to play to cover two and you, 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 you beat us short, but you're not going to beat us deep. Yeah. It's, it's been, I, I think that's what, like the thing that I like, like about defense a lot too, is that you see like the base similar concepts of things and then you kind of see the evolution of it, but yeah, interesting to see. Yeah. I, I, you know, cover two became real popular 
you know, a lot of people call it Tampa too. It existed before then, but, but yeah. a lot of people, you know, think it, it came sprung to life with the 2002 Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but you know, it's been around for a long time. The, the, the notion of it. Um, when I grew up in the 1970s, I, I had a football game pay dirt, which, which was sports illustrated football at the time. But I'll, okay. I'll tell you that defense a was the four, four, three was the standard. So the standard was only having three defensive backs on the field. I'm like, okay, wow. that obviously has passed us by yeah. <laughs> so, by quite a bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. That's awesome. All right. So let's move on and talk a little bit about the pass rush here, because uh, I think we hit on a couple things, but there's, there's more that we need to do. Some of it is uh, a combination in this game of numbers and deception that McDonald used to get home. He wasn't afraid to send numbers, uh, but he didn't do it too terribly much. So 13 of, oh, that's interesting. I have 48 pass plays there and 49 here. Anyway, 13 out of 40 uh, of 49, he, uh, 27% he blitz, which is not a particularly high number. The Ravens are often in the thirties in that category. Um, but, uh, they were, uh, that's cause I'm looking at the wrong game. That's how this kind of thing can happen. <laughs> so they had a spike in that okay. game against, against Strat. So here we go. Okay. So when they rush for 24 times for 50, for 58 yards, 2.4 yards per play, you're going to see the trend here in a second. When they rush five, 15 plays for 65 yards, 4.3. And when they rushed six, 10 plays for 67 yards, 6.7. So we're kind of actually doing Minshew a little favor once he figured out how to get rid of the ball quickly uh, by rushing more. Yeah, that's interesting to see. I'm like looking at um, the numbers myself, not too, because I'm a visual learner. But yeah, um, I think that that is interesting. That the fact that um, with the fewer number of pass rushers that he the hold on a second so the few the fewer yeah. pass rushes you have more more people less people in coverage and if he yeah. can get the ball out quickly to the hot read yeah. then he's going to be more effective at it huh I, would you say that that is typical no i wouldn't say it normally yeah, goes either direction right. if it's yeah. if it's patrick mahomes he kills you on these when you when you yeah. rush more and they don't even try it if it's joe burrow he might and and because he gets the ball up very quickly normally, so you don't generally even try it against him. A lot of young quarterbacks, the more you rush, the more they're going to end up on the ground. And and generally, it's it's numbers will confuse them, and it's worth it. Which is kind of surprising, given that the general trend I feel like maybe is that the younger quarterbacks are a little bit more mobile, mm-hmm. right? When when you see, I don't know. I think that's a little bit surprising. Um, but uh, but yeah, okay. All right. Uh, one thing I count is ample time and space. There's a number of times he had a three-second pocket. There's only 10 out of 49 dropbacks, so Ravens doing a good job pressuring him. Uh, 20% uh, ample time and space only. On those 10, he was 6 of 10 for 91 yards. So they gave him good opportunities in that, and he threw for 9.1 yards per play. The ball out quick happened 20 times, and those are before pressure could develop the ball is out, but it wouldn't have necessarily held up for three seconds. That was 41% of the passes, 4.6 yards per pass play. Generally speaking, that's fine, by the way. If you want to give up 4.6 yards per pass play, you can give it up pretty much all day, and and you'll be happy with that defensively. But here's the big one. The Ravens generated pressure 19 times. It's not a tremendously high number, 39%. It's been over 50 before, but it's also it can be in the teens occasionally. Five sacks in there. Unfortunately, no turnovers. 
But with with pressure, Minshew was six of fourteen for six net yards on those nineteen plays. So everything worked out to zero point three yards per play. So the Ravens certainly had their way with him there. And the big the big missing element is not having a turnover. Um, in terms of what you think, you've said that the number was like lower than it normally is, and usually over fifty percent. Mm-hmm. What particular in this um, this game do you think worked for them though, despite not having turnovers? Uh, I mean, getting the ball out quickly or when they had an yeah. ample time and space was, yeah. was better, but they only threw for 3.9 yards per pass. So it's hard for me to really pick out any subset that's particularly good. What I will say is that it was unfortunate. The, the Ravens seemed to get a little tired as the game went on. And in overtime um, and, and in the last drive of Q4, when they kicked the field goal to tie, they had a couple of 12 yard throws. They had a 34 yard throw in overtime. Um, so they actually were doing a pretty good job of of making some plays late in this game. Um, I thought the throw to Pittman, honestly, I, I thought it was pretty well def- defended, the 34-yard throw in overtime. Mm-hmm. And they did get out of it, fortunately. They got a fourth and one stop on that drive. But nice hit by Stevens and Stone, right? Stevens and Stone? Yeah, Stone, yeah. yeah. And Brandon was the one that kind of like put his arm in a little bit, yeah, and then um, was able to kind of stop that play from happening. And again, development of Brandon Stevens. Still, I think, you know, I, I think he got a lot of, we'll say, constructive criticism, we'll call it, you know, the last couple of seasons um, in terms of what he was doing. But I think he's really started to come into his own in that sense, too. And he the confidence, you can see the confidence for him building, even just in his demeanor and all that in the locker room as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, I they those that's like one of those plays, too, though, like obviously um, that catch. Um, you know, Tip it your was kind of like the, yeah, it's kind of like the Patrick Queen had the touchdown uh, to Zach Moss, the one that Patrick Queen was covering. I mean, you just, sometimes those things just happen, and it was just a better throw, a better catch, um, and they made the most of their opportunity in that sense. The Colts did so, as much as I do not want to admit that, but yeah, right. He he gave up a twenty-three yard play early in the game. I honestly felt the same thing. He was right there, had his hand up. Ball got through. I think it was Pierce that time who made the call, made the catch, and for for nineteen plus four, roughly in terms of the yak, uh, just a you know, a, there's almost no defense for the perfectly thrown football, and there wasn't in that particular case. And the other times where he had a chance to make a play, either after it or before, uh, Stevens was quite good at doing it in this game, and and uh, I think overall he played very well. Yeah, no, agreed. I mean, I think he was one of the leaders with tackles. I think he was like third on the team um, in terms of tackles and all that too. So yeah, he was third. Yeah. Uh, no, second, I guess, if you're counting the uh, Queen and Smith, both had 12. But yeah, I thought he he was, I thought he was all over the field, honestly. I thought he balled out in, the, in this past game. So. Yep. I agree on that. Uh, let's talk a little bit about deception if we can um, on this. So there's three major elements of deception that I count. The first is off ball blitzes. And there were 27 of those in this game, 0.55 per pass play. That is a lot. That is an awful lot. That's like a, a Wink Martindale or Rex Ryan number yeah. uh, for a game. But they had good reason that they did it, that they really wanted to confuse the line, the line assignments. And the guy you're really trying to confuse often the most is the center. And not necessarily because he makes the call, but because he's often the guy who has to pick somebody up up the middle um it can also be a communication thing that that he has to tell somebody 
to pick somebody up or he's involved in a handoff in some way or another. So I thought what they did with the um, with the blitzes was outstanding. And it wasn't always the blitzer himself that got home. It was Hamilton three times. Um, it was it was other players that opportunity was created for um, other than the blitz. So uh, Hamilton had six total blitzes in this game and he had a pressure, a batted ball at the line of scrimmage. It might have been two pressures, a batted ball at the line of scrimmage and three sacks. So it doesn't get much better than that in terms of a, a day of pass rushing as a defensive back. No, it definitely, again, especially, yeah, especially for a DB. I don't think that you often hear about that. You hear about that from maybe some linebackers, but definitely not, um, definitely not a DB. But um, yeah, and again, utilize, as we've been talking about um, for the last couple minutes, utilizing him to the fullest of his ability, obviously, the fact that he can be as versatile as he is, I think is so important for this defense. And again, he's talked about them in the past too. He said that I will literally play wherever they want me to play. Mm-hmm. So we love to see that. It's, it's that, that first of all, great attitude, but second of all, great players, you can do that too and not degrade their performance. And Kyle Hamilton is clearly a great player at this point. Marshall Yonda, no problem. You can move him wherever you want. And he's going to be great playing whatever offensive line position you ask him to. Um, Michael Orr, eh, eh. Not so, not so much. He's more on the margin as a player, despite being a first round pick. He just he just wasn't as good. Adelis Thomas, you're fine. You know, Camelot Correa, you're not fine because he's just he's not at that same level of play. So Hamilton is a guy that they can move around. And I honestly think the guy that they really need to set his position, even though he provides some versatility, I think he'd be it would be well suit him to to keep him where he is, is Brandon Stevens. I don't really want to see him move more. I think he's He's kind of a, a guy who's going to struggle in, at the NFL level playing defensive back just about anywhere. But now that he's found some success at, at outside corner, let's ride that. Let's see, yeah, let's see how far that can it. go and not moving back to safety. Or... Yeah, I think it's also because, like, you know, I think they, they kind of did that with him when he first got here. They kind of moved him around a bunch, too, between the yep. two seasons that he was here. Two seasons, yeah, he's in his third year. Um, and that was, like, one of the things where I remember asking him about that. What, what are you more comfortable on? He was said he was a little bit more comfortable at safety, but you know, maybe he has, maybe he's grown. Maybe he's changed his mind since then. Um, because obviously, as we said, he's having a lot of, you can tell that you can tell the difference. I mean, in the how, where he's all over the field um, and now at outside corner. So, yeah. He's, I, I hope he's one of these outside corners who knows not to stick his head in the pile unless it's really necessary. And obviously he made a great fourth and one tackle in this game, not saying, you know, lighten up on that. But the 2000 Ravens in particular had Starks and McAllister at corner and they kept them healthy the whole season because they were basically on orders. Don't get anywhere near the pile. And, uh, you know, they, they, they knew they didn't have a lot of depth there and, and they really got value out of those two guys because they, uh, they, they, they were like smart. this on run plays. Yeah. <laughs> they played smart. That's what yeah. they did. All right. Um, we talk about anything else here. We talked a little bit about, about simulated pressures earlier, so I'm not going to go into that. They did have some stunts in this game. Uh, they were effective. There was a lot of overlap between deceptive elements in this game, which led to uh, pass rush events. Uh, I, what I'm going to tell you is go to my article if you kind of want some further definition on this because it's easier to see it sometimes in written form than it is for me to go through it and rattle it off and, uh, and talk about this. Well, Melissa, I want to talk a little bit. First of all, thank you for coming on for this first part of the show. We're going to have you back for part two to talk about the individual personnel. But tell us a little bit about your show and what you're trying to do on 105.7. Sure. Um, So I have game day flocked down on Friday nights. Again, kind of a misnomer, as you said, because it's not game day. But it's like a preview into game day, if you will. Um, Honestly, I want to try and – because here's the thing. is 
you can talk about numbers and all that stuff. But for me, I've always been like a big person about intangibles, right? In terms of what you can't put a price on, what you can't put money on. Um, I've kind of made a career out of that in a way is telling stories of intangible athletes in the various places that I've worked before. Um, and that's kind of what I'm trying to do, you know, like really talk to a lot. I'm in my third year covering this team. So I've built a lot of really wonderful relationships with a lot of lovely guys on the team. And just to have them talk to me about, the various things that they're going through and, you know, ahead of every game, but also just what's happening in their lives a little bit too. And um, I always have a national person come on to talk about the national perspective. Usually I try to get the person that's calling the game. Um, and also as well as the opponent, um, a person covering the opposing team of the week mm -hmm. too. So you get a lot of different perspective. I think that that's one of the most important things about covering this sport and doing this job is perspective right because I think I mean I think that's kind of like why I'm here in a way too because before I covered the Ravens this is my third NFL team and and I've covered some college too so offering that perspective I think is what really NFL important. teams before uh so I've covered the Packers and also the Patriots okay um and I spent some time covering the SEC and Big Ten as well so um so yeah there's a lot of like really lovely wonderful stories out there and obviously a big part of this this job is relationships too. So there's a lot of really wonderful relationships on this team. Obviously the first one that comes to mind is Roquan and PQ. And there's obviously Lamar and Tyler Huntley. And the one underrated one that I've loved too is Michael Pierce and Brent Urban. They're such an unlikely pair in a way. Yeah, they really are. I remember asking um, Anthony Weaver, the D-line coach about them. And he's like, if you put them next to each other, they create a perfect number 10. And I was like, that's hilarious, <laughs> but also so mean. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> it's very mean. <laughs> but um. Brent, um, I talked to them both about each other, which is kind of neat too to hear them talk about each other. And Brent was like, I mean, I'm like a Canadian guy, like a big, tall Canadian guy. Like, you know, Michael's from like Alabama. And yet we like came together on this team, both as veterans and our, you know, multiple since with this team. And we kind of came together and formed this relationship. And they really are like two peas in a pod, which is like an interesting visual, obviously. But, um, but in terms of how much respect they have for each other, and in terms of the things that they're going through in life and just how they how they play together. And I think that that is such an important part of football that is an intangible, right? It's building chemistry and building relationships. And it's been really cool to see in my, you know, short three years here, those relationships build and grow. And just to see guys like kind of develop as well, because I know we were talking earlier about communication um, in terms of Roquan Smith, obviously being an anchor for the guy that talks a lot. I mean, the guy like literally talks so much. I mean, he also has a crazy, crazy memory. There are things that I've told him because, you know, naturally he talks a lot. So when we first met last year, he like asked me a bunch of questions about myself. And that was like, what, like last October, last November. And he remembers everything that I've ever told him about myself because he'll bring it up to me like now and stuff like that. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't even believe you remember that. But his effect, his trickle down effect on this defense, especially this, this middle linebacker group. I mean, we're seeing guys who are, who are admittedly shyer, like, you know, quieter guys, like, Malik Harrison, like Patrick Queen, seeing them come out of their shells a little bit more this year. And ha obviously Patrick being the bigger one, you know, in terms of taking that leadership role, like, you know, this past Wednesday after the Bengals game, he was the one that after practice, like told the guys, like, look, like we got to still like, you know, give 110%, pretend that we're, you know, a winless team so far. And, you know, that kind of leadership role obviously is an intangible. And then you hear about Malik Harrison, a guy that I've talked to since he got, since I first got here and he was always really shy. And then now he's like making jokes at me and being chatty and stuff. So it's been, it's been really cool. That's, that's, that's great that you have that kind of access and, and certainly can build that kind of relationship. And obviously that sounds like a good, good enough reason alone to listen to uh, Melissa's show <laughs> on Friday night or post games on, on Sunday. 
Uh, so please do that. Other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, hit me up with a DM on Twitter. You know the rules by now. Uh, I'll get back to you very quickly. DMs are always open. Love to hear from you. That's how I meet the new people that drive this guest-driven show. And I really appreciate uh, all the contributions over the years. Melissa, thanks again for joining me. Yes, of course. Thank you. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.